I want to share a verse that you will not find in the bulletin in the order of worship. It is from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, verse 10. You will find it familiar. The angel said to them, that is, to the shepherds, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. And now you're thinking, wait a minute, it's not Advent, it's not Christmas, where is he going with this? Well, hang on to that for a moment, we'll come back to it. I want to share some thoughts about literature in general. All literature reflects a mood of some kind. No matter who your favorite author is or the kind of literature you read, you will find as you get into it a sense of, of spirit, a sense of mood, um, a reflection sometimes of the author himself or herself. Tennessee Williams creates a mood of sweet, moldy decay. Faulkner is murky. Louis Grizzard commentary on the American South, Mark Twain, the great American humorist, the Sunday comics, well, you just pick the one you like. There are many moods in literature, as many moods as there are authors. And the authors of the New Testament are no exception. Now, they are certainly different. Each of the Gospels is very different, written uh, sometimes to different audiences for a different purpose. Um, but all of them have a common element that is important for us to remember. The essential mood, if I may put it that way, that pervades the New Testament from start to finish is a mood of unrelenting joy. And that's amazing when you think about it the trials and tribulations, the things that the disciples went through, the things that Jesus went through. Think about it for a moment. The central figure of this story, this New Testament story, lived scarcely a single generation. He was betrayed, he was tortured, nailed to a post, and he died at the early age of 33. All of his close followers, almost all of them, were killed, sometimes brutally. His principal interpreter, the Apostle Paul, in his own words, was flogged, lashed, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. He knew hunger, he knew cold, and his life ended cruelly. The final book of the New Testament was written to a people who had been undergoing systemic cruel persecution for their faith. They were being put to death, sometimes in barbaric ways, because of their insistence on trusting God. All of that is true of the record of Jesus Christ in this world. And yet, the mood, the spirit that pervades the whole thing from Matthew to Revelation is a mood of irrepressible joy. Hear Jesus talking to the twelve. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Hear the description of the early church in the book of Acts. The disciples were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Hear Paul writing to Corinth about the news in Macedonia. Their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity. Despite adversities and interruptions, 
trials and tribulations, you find that is the overriding mood of all of the New Testament. And given what the followers of Jesus were given, what they had to deal with, what they had to do, what they had to go through, all of that is astonishing. How is it that that mood is so central to the message of the gospel? A seminary professor put it this way. I'm quoting the professor, not the Bible, but he said that Jesus promised his disciples three things. They would be completely fearless, they would be absurdly joyful, and they would be in constant trouble. And that's the way they found it. So how do you explain it? How do you explain it? This joy. How do you account for it? The key, of course, is understanding joy. Joy in the New Testament doesn't mean pleasure. Doesn't mean having a good time. Doesn't mean simple gladness or elation. That would be a contradiction to the deep meaning of what the good news is about. Joy in the New Testament, true New Testament joy, is not synonymous with pleasure. Pleasure comes from self-gratification. Joy comes from self-giving. Pleasure is, this is personal, pleasure is downing a big piece of strawberry shortcake <laughs> or crispy cream donut. Joy is being thankful you can share a piece of cornbread with someone in need. Pleasure is receiving nice birthday gifts. Joy is watching your grandchildren or your children open theirs. Pleasure is finding a super bargain at a garage sale. I know some of you are out there. Joy is discovering you don't really need that after all. Pleasure is having. Joy is being content without. Pleasure is receiving a thank you note. Joy is writing one. Pleasure is not having to go to work in the morning. Joy is getting to go to the work to work in the morning to stand in this pulpit. Pleasure is seeing an unforgettable sunset. Joy is sharing it with somebody through your eyes, someone who can't even see. Pleasure adds. Joy multiplies. I could go on. But do you see the, the paradox here? Uh, you, don't have, you don't have it unless you give it. You, you don't know it unless you provide it. And, and you notice something else. I, I could have given a lot more illustrations, but it doesn't have to be a big uh, event, a big act of ministry in order to be involved in these acts of joy. You don't have to go on a mission trip around the world. You can, you can do something blessing, a blessing right here. It's tied up in, in emptying yourself losing yourself in something bigger than you are. That is, and it always has been, hear this, it always has been the invitation of Christ. Not for yourself, but to lose yourself in something bigger of God. It's like grace in that respect. It's beautiful, it's mysterious. It is something God has, offers without price. It sneaks up on you if you're not careful. 
when you allow yourself to be absorbed in something beyond yourself that frees you from self-concern or self-interest. That's the nature and the invitation of the gospel. It's bigger than you and me. You may know some people who, who experience that kind of joy. A lawyer losing herself in a piece of pro bono work just because it's the right thing to do. A teacher who agonizing for weeks over a class that doesn't seem to want to understand and yet she sees the light come on in that class and it's joy. A mother lovingly bathing her firstborn. A carpenter varnishing a piece of wood that he's going to give away to his grandson. A casual observer who sees a wreck and rushes to rescue someone trapped inside and later says, well, I'm no hero. It's something anyone would have done. Not counting the cost, not bathing in the attention. It's about being deeply engaged in what Jesus calls the kingdom. Joy, it's a paradox. It happens precisely when you are not pursuing yourself, when you are doing something else, when you are one in the generous creative spirit of God. Like the prayer I pray so often for myself, Lord, I don't know if I'm pleasing you, but my desire to please you, I pray, does please you. It's beyond you and me. It's about a banquet. It's an invitation. And you and I are invited. And so I'll, I'll now get to the gospel. Jesus tells this rather odd story of a king holding an extravagant banquet for his son's wedding. And three times he sends out his servants, his messengers, to bring people to the wedding feast. Yet they're too distracted. They have other things to do. They're not interested And so he sends them out again, and the same results. Nobody accepts the invitation. And in the middle of this passage, you notice it gets rather ugly for people who do not hear the joy in the invitation, who have better things to do. Finally, when the messengers are instructed to invite anyone to go out on the streets, just gather everybody up, the banquet is filled. filled. Banquet hall is filled. Now, I want to say a word about the king, because in Jesus' parables, often, of course, the king or the master represents God, and this is about the kingdom of God, and the the king here is persistent. He will not quit inviting until that banquet hall is filled, till the celebration can take place. Yet what strikes me as very interesting here is that the king comes to the banquet, hundreds of people possibly, and he's walking around telling people where to go get certain food and thanking them for coming, and then he notices one man, one man only, who is not wearing a wedding robe. That's symbolic. He is not clothed for the joyful celebration. And the guest gets thrown out on the street. Hundreds of people there. 
the scripture says there were good people there, there were bad people there, but that wasn't the issue. That wasn't the, the, the character that, characteristic that was required. No one is thrown out other than that one man. It doesn't matter how unusual or how unknown they are, how good or bad, they are fully welcome. They have come for the joy of it. Only the one who is not appropriately dressed, whose appearance does not reflect the joy of this festive occasion, only that one is unwelcome. Notice, what matters most to the king, to the master, to God, is that each one of us present recognizes that we can be a ready participant, a joyful participant in the celebration to which we have been invited. The kingdom. We come because we know how good it is. Not pleasurable, not happy, but deeply, joyfully meaningful. It's the sort of thing Jesus was alluding to when he said to the disciples, I have spoken to you, and these are my words, I translate a little bit, I have invited you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Your joy, our joy. There's that word again. And Jesus said that consciously aware that he was eating the last meal he would ever have on this earth. Luke 2, verse 10, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. A Christmas scripture, yes. A Christmas message, yes. But more. Mark 1, 1 says, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I interpret that in a way to mean this is where the ministry begins. But the angel had already precluded that by saying, This is joy in its purest, most divine sense. That's what the birth was all about, and the angels proclaimed it. Marcus and, and Creed and I have been back here four weeks. I won't tell you either way whether it seems longer or shorter than, than that. We'll, we'll get back to you. But I, I think I speak for, for the three of us when I say there is joy here. I feel it. I sense it. Behold, I bring good news of great joy. There it is again. Nothing about pleasure, nothing about a good time, not an emotional high, nothing about a soothing remedy for what ailed you, nothing about an exemption from anything. The angel didn't say that you and I get special protection or a reserved seat at the banquet. We don't get just... For that reason, there is more to it about grace. We don't get a getting into heaven insurance policy just by showing up or any kind of blessing that would set us apart from anyone else at the table for it's open to all. And that's not just a Christmas message. That's not the good news message. It is even bigger than that. The angel said joy joy, a joy that pleases the Lord of the banquet, the Lord of the kingdom, and that is given in his son's name. 
that sometimes difficult relationship with a baby who grew up to be crucified and who out of his appalling love for you and me and an invitation from the cross calls us to identify as he did with a world in need. That's, that's Jesus' joy. And so you're invited to the banquet, good or bad, I trust you've already accepted the invitation. No formal acceptance is required. All that is needed is that you dress appropriately. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.